Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today is Mr. Samuel Wuckhurst. Samuel, how's it going? Not bad, thank you, Dan. Nice to have you back on. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I feel like I only come on when there's like absolute um, disasters from United. I think my last one was after the Brentford one, so rather <laughs> fitting that I'm back here um, today of all days. And also with us today, of course, is Mr. Stephen Railston. Steve, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad myself, Dan. Thank you very much. If we're going to nickname you the, the Grim Reaper at this rate, aren't we? Well, these exactly, bad results exactly. More like Grin Reaper because <laughs> it is hard not to... Um... Samuel, where, where do we even begin? 6-3 against Manchester City. I actually don't think it is, is as humiliating or as, a, or as as much of a crisis as that Brentford game was um, a few weeks back now. But no matter which way you look at it, it's certainly certainly not good whatsoever. No, the, the Brentford game was a generational nadir. Um, that game, let's say, was never going to define United season, but you, you've got to really give them both barrels when they concede six at City. The, the scoreline flattered them. They were they must be thanking Anthony Marshall for uh, ensuring that they only lost by, by a three-goal margin. But when you concede six goals in, in any game, however great or poor the opposition that there have to be substantial changes and there has to be uh, a, a pretty major reaction to it as well. I think one of the most alarming things about the game on Sunday was that United were a hell of a lot worse than they were in March when they lost 4-1 at City and they conceded, I think, in the fifth minute in that game. It was only, they only held out for three minutes longer with this defeat. And in that game, they were actually in it for... An hour. I think it was only until Rashford and Lingard came on with that that you know infamous double substitution that backfired, that things started to go all right. But that was I think it was two one at that point to City only, and United gave a pretty good account of themselves in the first half. But the game yesterday, they the, the players and Ten Hag, Ten Hag said it was about a lack of belief, and they did look as though they had a lack of belief. But it's it's. Somewhat ironic, I guess, when a team concedes six goals, but the defenders aren't the biggest problem of the team. Uh, the forwards were, the four forwards in the first half were just luxuries. Uh, I saw someone say about oh, United are trying to press too much. I don't know what that pressing was because I didn't see any of it. And if if it was pressing, it was one of the most amateurish attempts at it by uh, a top level team. There was one occasion in the first half where Ake, I think he actually carried the ball into United's half and United staff member sat, sat nearby to us, was absolutely furious that Ake was allowed to do that. And you looking at that at the time, you're thinking, OK, McTominay's going to have to engage him now. But if McTominay does that, he leaves Kim De Bruyne free. And that is probably, other than leaving Erling Haaland free, one of the last things you want to do against City the tone was just set from the first minutes. They, they there was that fl- that flurry when McTominay put a block in and De Gea made a save, and that all came from a cross where 
Haaland remarkably was was unmarked and he was the least likely to score in that position because the ball was just a bit too high for him but sometimes you just wonder what what, what professional footballers are thinking uh Wayne Rooney who okay you know he's, he's he is one of the most intelligent talkers about football I think he's his columns are a must read every Sunday and the top line in his column in the Sunday Times was United need to eliminate the crosses for Haaland I think five goals yesterday were scored from crosses. Uh, you know, say what you will about Rooney's managerial career and the fact that he's managing in the MLS, but he can see that that's the easiest route to Haaland and the easiest route to Haaland scoring. And City ended up scoring five goals from from crosses coming into uh, the United area. So that there was no, apart from Marshall's cameo, there wasn't a single positive from that game. The wingers didn't provide any protection for the full-backs whatsoever. I think that was an interesting point, uh, observation that Paul Scholes made on Instagram this morning in that there was a time where, more recently, that, that Jose Mourinho got stick for um, giving Eden Hazard stick for not tracking back and mucking in with his full-back. That is a prerequisite now. I think everybody acknowledges you. You see, City's players uh, do it. They they work like demons. They are um, whatever the the third, uh, whoever the opposition. You just look at Guardiola. They they cannot satisfy him enough. He is apart from when he's celebrating the goals, he gives the impression that his team are losing because he is striving for perfection. That although it might be unattainable, he is always trying to attain it. And United, unfortunately for them, in recent years, it must be something in the water there. You put forwards in that team and the work ethic is just not what it should be. And it's it's poles apart from City, but City are poles apart from United in in just about every way. And I mean, that, that was a pretty serious dosage of reality there yesterday in that one team had spent £225.4 million on strengthening their squad in the summer and although they set up looking quite bullish, the team was as expected. They were they were worse in every single department, and some of them, frankly, just looked absolutely absolutely petrified of playing against some of those city players. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have summed it up better. But like Samuel, I don't know. I, I'm sorry, Samuel. Stephen, too many S's. Stephen, <laughs> I don't know what the um, I don't know what the thinking has been on the the, the red half of the the MEN's podcast. But over on, on over on the city side. Before Sunday last week, um, Joe and myself, we we were kind of optimistic about United's chances. They came into this game, four-game winning streak, two wins against you know, Arsenal, who are still top of the league, lest we forget, and Liverpool, who aren't quite the Liverpool of last season, but are still a big scalp, no doubt about that. Four wins on the bounce, and it seemed to me that how United looked hit on the counter, their speedy, um, speedy attackers, the distribution of Ericsson, almost perfectly set up to kind of get in behind City where they are a bit weak, get um, you know, rattle them a bit like Newcastle did, as you'll well know, um earlier this season. It seemed like United might actually be well suited for that. And Joe and myself, we thought United had a decent chance and there'd no no inclination that'd be such um, a whitewash. But then within two minutes, Grealish gets the booking at a Dallow, McTominay is forced into that sprawling block and the tone is set from the offset and it was clear from then on that the game was only going one way. How, you know, it's it seemed so such a stark contrast to how United have been playing recently, then going into this, and they seem to have forgotten all the progress they've made over the last few weeks after that Brentford game. 
Well, it was almost a shock and it almost wasn't at the same time. Um, it sounds a bit contradictory, but you know, we've just discussed that progress that's been made in the last few weeks and there had been progress. There was some positive performances, individual improvement that was being made. You look at those those teams when it when it came out around, uh, was it one o'clock, sorry, on Sunday afternoon? And I've, my, my confidence increased when I saw those two teams. You saw Kanji at centre-half, so Nathan Ake alongside him. And you thought, God, this game's going to set up perfectly for United to counter-attack and for Rashford to use his pace to get in behind. But the problem was, Dan, you just talked about the, the counter-attacking approach. United were getting the ball in those few moments and a lot's been made about the lack of composure and the lack of self-belief. But they were just rushing. They were getting rid of the ball. They were getting rid of it, you know, not keeping possession, giving it away far too cheaply. And against City, who were going to dominate the ball anyways. You can't do that. That's that's a cardinal sin. And I mean, as soon as that first goal goes in, both of the first two goals were, were amateur, as Samuel said. I think the first goal, obviously, Eriksen loses his man. Um, but from that point, I think Varane's there. I think this was picked up on match of the day as well. He looks around and maybe he should say, look, Eriksen, you come in or, you know, Dalot come across the, the dangers. Yeah, and, and, and that doesn't happen, obviously. And for the second, I'm sure we'll come on to this in a bit more detail. Samuel will, will have his say, but that goal from that corner, that is just, it's pathetic, isn't it? It, it really is. You, you cannot leave Erling Haaland unmarked from a corner. Um, and I know there was a lot of talk, obviously, about Varane, who was off the pitch. He was obviously injured, wasn't he? And perhaps he would have marked uh, Haaland. But get Matomini on him. He's the, he's the second tallest player, isn't he? So get, get him on, get him marking. There's, there's no excuse for that. It's just the basics. And once you got two goals down against City, I mean, they were excellent from the first whistle. They were really on the ball yesterday. And the game was kind of gone at that point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you say, I think kind of comes to the big talking point. I, I think you're spot on. City's team comes out and if you're not watching City regularly, you probably don't realise how well Akanji has been since he's come in. He's been amazing, really good. And for 15 million, and he, he can take that. Exactly, absolutely. Because he wasn't even that good at Dortmund when he's come into City and settled in brilliantly. But you're right. Like If you're United, you might not know how good he's been. You think, oh, Diaz isn't playing. That's weird. And the biggest one, Rodri not playing. You think, oh, you can get a Gundogan perhaps. But it just didn't happen. I think you spot on there that the, the distribution just wasn't there. You know, how those kind of attacks were launched against Arsenal with Ericsson threading those passes through to Rashford just wasn't on show um, against City at all. I think Samuel Neville said before even the opener that United were just not using the ball correctly. I think I wonder if that does stem from maybe United's biggest contention in the starting eleven is that Casemiro didn't start and Hag justified it before the match saying he stuck with his team. That played well against Arsenal. McTominay's been playing well before and doesn't deserve to be dropped. But, you know, I think many thought before the match, it was a time for Casemiro to come in and hindsight didn't prove them wrong. That team was pretty much set in stone two weeks ago, maybe even four weeks ago, going back to the Arsenal game. Um, a combination of that, the postponements to the two league games, the defeat to Real Sociedad as well, where the rotation didn't come off and that wasn't all down to Ten Hag. There were some issues with his management that night, like playing Fred as the number 10, but he, the personnel he picked by and large was was pretty sound. And certainly after that Sheriff game, everyone knew that if Rashford was fit or Marshall was match fit, I think it was always a stretch for Marshall to start. But if Rashford was match fit, he would come in for an Aldo and that would be the only change. And that proved to be the case. And a settled team, more often than not, is is positive. There, there's no uncertainty. There's 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 some rhythm there. But it can also be a negative. As you said, there were some curveballs in that City team in the Grealish starting was pretty noteworthy uh, just because he's underwhelmed by and large at his time at the club. And certainly I 
I thought that it would be Foden on one side and, and maybe Mahrez on the other um, with, with Bernardo Silva and Kevin De Bruyne. But obviously with Rodri coming out of the team, that was in force. They had to readjust to that slightly. City's team was more unpredictable. And as, as Stephen touched upon, when, when the team sheets did drop, most of us in the City press room were like, you know, this, this looks quite quite appealing for United they've they could they could cause some damage here but the caveat you always have is that with City whatever the front six they play it's the best in the world and United just could not contain them whatsoever as far as the McTominay's McTominay selection was concerned I saw some United fans or I was alerted to some United fans saying oh we've won with him why should we change him if a Formula One car is slow and cannot keep up with the other car and knows it they will tweak the engine. What Ten Hag did was very, very naive because he should have had Casemiro preparing, uh, integrated into the team weeks ago. McTominay was decent to okay in those games against uh, Liverpool the night that Casemiro was paraded on, on the pitch. That was six weeks ago. And then Southampton five days later and Leicester five days after that. Those Southampton and Leicester games, everybody expected Casemiro to start didn't and okay when he came when he did start against Real Sociedad he was cumbersome he was pretty poor that game a Europa League group game on the night that the Queen died when everything felt very very strange and subdued is not a reliable gauge of a player's worth and it, it was just naive from Ten Hag I thought in the go back to Ferguson's days and he would pick out a certain player and make a beeline for him weeks before a big game and assure him you're not playing in these two or three games coming up but you are playing in this game because you're you're my big game player or I've got a big role for you in that day and United have not been associated with forward planning since his days and when you go to City and you do not have a defensive midfielder the chances are you're going to be in trouble and people can say, well, you know, Solskjaer went to City and won three games with pretty much an identical game plan to, to Ten Hag yesterday. This is a better City team than those teams. They've got they've got Haaland now. I know it's a very simple thing to say, but they have got a striker who looks like he's been built in a lab. There are no weaknesses to him whatsoever. They have got world-class defenders. They've got world-class fullbacks. They've got world-class midfielders. They are... You know, it's it's pretty overwhelming that the sheer might of that team, and you have to have a contingency plan to counter that. United didn't have that, and the con of playing four two three one, which is a formation that Ten Hag has settled on. I mean, a lot of people have said, "Why couldn't you play Casemiro and McTominay?" Ten Hag was not going to entertain that. Eriksson has been one of United's best players so far this season. He has to play. He's not dropped Fernandez yet. Fernandez has been. Up until yesterday, he's had a reasonable start to the season. The Arsenal game was his best performance in years. So it's always going to be one of Casemiro and McTominay. But by not playing Casemiro, he'd already played him out of the team. And everybody knew it was going to be McTominay starting yesterday. But as I said, in terms of that system of 4-2-3-1, if the forwards are not mucking in, that is a big problem because you leave the midfielders isolated. Ericsson, his durability, understandably, is is, um, is is going to be questioned at points in the season. And, and that's as much out of concern as anything because of what happened in, in Copenhagen last year. But you've got to look at the wingers. And Sancho has never been great at tracking back. Anthony 
Uh, I don't think that's going to be necessarily part of his game. That's going to be something he has to adapt. He has got a bit more. Um, he's, you know, he's got time on his side. He's he's not played in England yet. But when you've not, as a the, the trouble United had yesterday is that during these four games where they've won, there have been caveats to them. They've they've been wins underpinned by pragmatism or breakaways. But they played as a team, which was hardly ever the case last season. Yesterday, they were not a team. They were disjointed and there were too many individualistic performances. And most of them came from the forwards. And as bad as Malassia was, and I can remember how abysmal Patrice Evra was in his debut in that first half at City back in 2006. And Malassia was worse, but he was not helped out whatsoever by Sancho. And it... It took me back almost two years ago to the day to Spurs' 6-1 thrashing of United. And I was told one of the main um, tactics from Spurs that day was that the, the phrase that was given to me was that United's wingers don't like to defend. So it was get at the fullbacks because they're isolated. And that's what Tottenham did. They scored six goals. You saw City yesterday, the way they got at the fullbacks. They scored six goals as well. Different managers, but pretty much the same outcome. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, as I said earlier, the tone was set so early on with Grealish just running at Dallow, getting that book in. Don't think it was long before Malassia followed him into the book. So to have both your fullbacks on yellows within so, you know, 20 minutes, wherever it was, half an hour, just yeah. blunts, blunts your teeth so early, doesn't it? Reduce, you know, United, especially like when McTominay starts and those sort of games, you, if you're not as good as City, which they're obviously not, and there has to be kind of allowances left for that, City here are miles ahead of everyone, and there's no shame apart from them being your city rivals, of course, of taking a beating off them because they're going to beat everyone. That's you know, they've got the best strike in the world added to the team that was already the best in the world. It's it's ridiculous, but in that sort of derby atmosphere, Stephen, you need that oomph, that bite. And United just didn't have it's hard to kind of focus on one thing because no one was good apart from the one caveat, which we'll get to later on to have a bit of a positive note. But I'm kind of I've got a list here of people who played bad, and it's just they started 11. No one, you know, take it away. Who do you kind of want to dig in on? Because everyone kind of deserves a bit of it here and there. Because again, no, just no one showed up at all in such a big game. Completely, completely. I'll touch upon. Uh, I think it was actually a blog post from Samuel. He touched. You just talked about the atmosphere there, Dan. But it was hardly raucous. Uh, they already had not kind of said it all. Do you know what I mean? Winning the game six three or six one at one point, and for the atmosphere to not be that loud, for the stadium to not be that excited. Obviously, we saw the return of the pass and didn't move. But apart from that. It's never too loud at the Etihad. I think that's uh, I think that's fair to say. But individual performances, look, you could talk about them all. But I think it's it's right to talk about that front three who were just oh, so unbelievably bad. Um, Rashford obviously started down the middle. That was the correct call. But there was moments where you kind of press a Kanji or I think it was like a half press. You it's just you know not much effort into it, and a Kanji would step out. And I think that Samuel alluded to that before. I think it was a Kanji who stepped out with the ball. And you can't give City centre-backs time to do that. And Ake was doing that. And it was creating overloads on the left, on the right. And they'd just pick up the passes. And that would leave Malassia. Uh, I think it was 2-1 two, two against against Foden. And City were obviously going to exploit those areas and get loads of joy, joy from that wing. So, And then you've got, obviously, Sancho as well and Anthony, who were both very poor. And, and, and that kind of set the tempo from the side. You've got to... You've got a, in the front line in these games, you're not going to match City with your talent. You've just discussed that, Dan, which is fair enough. Man-to-man, United are inferior. That's the fact. But you've got to go there and you've got to put a bit of spirit of performance and you've got to put yourself about. And United didn't do that. And that's the basics, isn't it? That's, you know what I mean? That's the start of the match. You've got to do that from the first whistle. Sancho, he's in danger of becoming a 73 million flop. 
Um, he, he just keeps regressing to these kind of performances. And um, we keep giving them chances. He keeps having maybe one or two few games where he'll take on a few players or have a few good moments, but they're far too fleeting. I understand, obviously, it is hard to, to, to reach those levels consistently when you're in a struggling team, but he's had a season now. He's settled in life in Manchester and can no longer have those excuses. I obviously scored it that he had uh, earlier this year, didn't he? But he was very, very poor, very poor yesterday. And obviously, Anthony got that goal, but he wasn't much better. And as Samuel's talked about, City and Liverpool are so brilliant because everybody works so hard. They've got talent, they're, they're, they're well coached, but they, they are relentless with their work rate. I think it was a clip of Mo Salah the other week, and I think he was the last man back sprinting back for Liverpool and putting in a challenge at Anfield. Could you see Sancho doing that? Could you see Anthony doing that? I couldn't. And we didn't see that yesterday. And that, that just left the midfield exploited. Even if Casemiro started, and let's say De Bruyne was playing for United, let's say he was representing United, it would have still been the same story because that front three were not pressing. They were not doing their jobs. And that just led the ball onto United and left them exp exposed, unfortunately. Mm, I think what must be kind of the most disappointing from a United perspective is that City, despite having so much firepower with Haaland and being so good, they haven't really been at the best so far this season. I know they're still undefeated and everything, but... They've, there's been a kind of because they've brought in this new firepower and they've sacrificed that false nine that usually that usually made them a bit more secure in the middle. We're bringing in Haaland in. They have kind of made themselves a little bit more vulnerable, perhaps than they used to be. They've sacrificed a bit of control for that just absolutely blistering front three. And we've seen it York, York side, obviously Stephen Newcastle torrent to shreds at times. Saint Maximum, I've never seen Saint Maximum play so well. Like Newcastle really should have won that, and of course it was Haaland that didn't. Palace went 2-0 up against them. Um, Dortmund, it, at the Etihad, it was only John Stone smashing it in from 30 yards that kind of let City break Dortmund down because they weren't going to do it before that. There's a clear kind of... City can be got at this year. It's been proven already. You can get something for them. You can rattle them. You can kind of get under the skin. You can score. But Samuel, like as, as we said, United just fell, fell to pieces within a minute and there was no... I thought what was kind of weird is like the, the defence that has been kind of three clean sheets in the last five or six games has it been like it's been developing a good partnership and that consistency has been good but it seemed like Martinez and Varane like never met each other at points like the communication seemed off to me it, just gaps appearing everywhere maybe that as, as we've discussed that doesn't not help they haven't been protected well not a proper defensive midfielder the wingers not mucking in but you know as Stephen said earlier and you're not marking Haaland from a corner or even in open play, you're just kind of begging for trouble, aren't you? Before the first goal even went in, Ten Hag was so concerned by United's, uh, how deep United were, that he was coming out of this technical area to you know, shout at them, try and tell them to move higher up the pitch. And then looking at Foden's first goal uh, and City's first goal, I think Varane's, Varane's in the six-yard area when the ball goes in. Um, City pushed them almost as far back as their goal line, uh, United with that deep. So even inside the first five or six minutes, whatever it was, Ten Hag noticed that there was a big problem with how how withdrawn United were. And I, I don't think, had Varane stayed on, that United would have won that game or recovered necessarily, that I, I still think they'd have got beaten. But you still can't underestimate, I suppose, the um, how, how great are the the scoreline was, or certainly by City scoring six goals, after Varane did get injured, he gets injured at 1-0, he's off the pitch because he's had treatment, 
for, for the corner that Haaland scores from when when Ten Hag was it was quite amusing in the in these post-match press comments when Ten Hag was asked about Christian Eriksen marking Haaland at the corner he he said Christian Eriksen marking Haaland like he, he seemed to be the last person in the Et- at the Etihad to be aware that it was Eriksen on on Haaland and he, he confirmed unsurprisingly that that wasn't the plan so that's that's probably a fault of um sorry a flaw in in the United players game management that nobody's actually able to say to tell someone or say to Scott McTominay look the, the the big man's off the pitch at the moment so you've got to be on Haaland because you're, you're tall um there's just no organizational nails there at all which is is another concern and was something that I think United fans had hoped that Ten Hag had um addressed and that he, he said how much of a leader Varane is and I think some players have taken on uh, different types of leadership roles so far this season but it was always early days and certainly September was not the time to judge United and October isn't either but there's there's enough to be concerned about already and going back to your point about you know, City having some tight games this season this is exactly why you know, it, it's why heads need to roll at United for conceding six goals Crystal Palace should have been 3-0 up at City and would have been but for some dreadful uh, officiating uh, Dortmund were 1-0 up and were you know they had that late capitulation because the, the goalkeeper for some reason decided not to save John Stones' shot and uh, Bournemouth only lost 4-0 at City. Newcastle have taken a point off City, uh, albeit at home, and, and the same with Aston Villa as well when Villa were 1-0 down and, and managed to rally and, and get an equaliser in that game. So there's no excuses. There were no excuses whatsoever for the way United performed, particularly in the first half. I mean, the second half, it, the game was already over and done with by that point. It was just a matter of how many City would win by. But this, the first half was almost unforgivably bad, particularly when you consider that it was only what, six or seven weeks earlier that United were thumped 4-0 and trudged off at half-time 4-0 down at Brentford. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we've kind of mentioned Haaland. I think we have to kind of give the give the guy some credit and not as if he's had enough. You know, it's the first time United have been on the receiving end of him, the first time they faced him, faced his wrath, and he got three goals and two assists as well. The complete package, Samuel. And I'm sure, I've no doubt, there'll be stories going around about how United kind of came close to getting him before he went to Dortmund back in January 2020. Some people who might not have been following it as closely as, well, of course, you were back in that, that time. I'd be wondering why United didn't do it when it was so obvious he was going, destined to be the world's best striker, if he wasn't already at that point anyway. But, you know, why, why, don't, we, why don't you kind of fill in those who might not know quite why, you know, it wasn't quite as simple as United turning down because he wasn't good enough, was it? There was, there was a good reason why at the time United didn't sign Haaland, even if, even if they might well be regretting, be regretting it now. Well, people who know the family were always adamant that he was going to go to Germany uh, because they just thought that the Haaland thought that Dortmund was the ideal place for him uh, for the next phase of his career to develop. But they were, they were extremely receptive to to joining United, and you know, the discussions were relatively advanced as well. Uh, Marcel Bau, who was the head of global scouts, and went to watch Haaland in person. I think in in. Uh, Red Bull Salzburg's last Champions League group game against Liverpool that December. I think Solskjaer visited him as well, uh, maybe a week later or later that week. But ultimately, United's mistake. At, at that point, it was unclear whether Mino Raiola, how involved Mino Raiola was with Erling Haaland. And United tried to sidestep him and deal with 
Jim Solbakken, who is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's agent, and had also facilitated Haaland's move from Mulder to Salzburg in 2018. And of course, that didn't go down well with Raiola, who um, pretty much ensured that Haaland would not go to United. And, and earlier that year, I mean, Raiola's relationship with United was very frosty by that point anyway. And earlier that year, he tried to engineer a transfer for Paul Pogba to uh, to, to Real Madrid. And he gave a pretty incendiary interview um, in the month that Haaland actually joined uh, Dortmund to the Daily Telegraph, where he pretty, tore into, pretty much tore into United over a number of things. But ultimately, it came down to uh, the release clause uh, that obviously ensured that Haaland left when he did earlier this year. Um, the family wanted that inserted into the contract, whichever club he would have joined. And United also uh, blamed uh, the agent's fees, which is is a classic. Um, I mean, they've they've done that before um, to you know when they've not signed a player or not gone for a player. It agent's fees is always uh, a convenient excuse. So that was another issue. Um, and then you know, when when Ralph Rangnick was even interim manager last year, he was you know un- unsurprisingly urging them to go back in for Haaland. But everybody knew that they were never going to be in for him. Uh, because they they weren't in the they're not in the Champions League this season, and also they refused to deal with Raiola by that point before he died. Whereas Manchester City um, actually sent some staff members to Raiola when he was in hospital uh, to to progress discussions and negotiations. Uh, I, I always thought it was clear in the summer of of last year, uh, particularly after the Kane deal didn't materialise that. Harland, everyone knew he was going to leave this year and it was going to be for one of two clubs and that was always going to be Manchester City or Real Madrid and of course he's gone to City because um, as he says in the documentary that was filmed quite recently there was an expectation that Real Madrid would sign Kylian Mbappe. Brighton's Caicedo, sorry Dan comes to mind doesn't it Sam no, when no. you talk about agents fees as an excuse? Uh, yeah Caicedo was mm. another one um, yeah, and was- there, there was an even more um, I think he cost £5 million, Caicedo, and, and a colleague said that they'd spoken to someone else at United who said, oh, why would we spend £5 million on, on Caicedo when we can use that money for better use elsewhere? And you think... Spent £30 well, on that, didn't they? Well, it was <laughs> well, just hilarious to talk this summer of them splashing out, what, £40 million on them, perhaps, and Brighton passed up the chance of, what was it, £4 million, uh, somebody just said five. So that just shows about the recruitment, doesn't it? It's been an absolute mess, absolute mess. Yeah. I want a little thought exercise for you, Stephen. If United had have signed Haaland in that January of 2020, <laughs> let's say they, they accepted the sell-on fee, whatever, and then he left this summer, would A, either A, would Haaland be as good as he is now still? Or B, um, or would he have been like corrupted by United? Or B, would you, you know, where would United be if they had signed him? Would they be better off? Even if they still lost him and if he went to City or Madrid, either way, would you not have been better off accepting all the fees, accepting the sell-on clause? Would they be better off if they had have done it? If Haaland had joined United, Dan wouldn't be having this conversation. United would be treble winners and it would be paradise at Old Trafford. You know, this, this that result wouldn't have happened on Sunday. I think <laughs> we're talking about mentality before. We talk about Haaland's mentality in the interviews he does pre-match and the way he talks about scoring goals and whatnot. He is an unbelievable player. But on the subject of mentality, I kind of just wanted to add on that point before we're talking about the the high line of United, sorry, the the very deep line of United, how how deep they were and and their approach to the game. And I don't know whether that is kind of insecurity in the dressing room or or the mentality. Samuel sent me a message before the players came out and discussed a lack of belief in the game and and Ten Hag kind of blamed that as an excuse. But 
I can't say Ten Hag obviously was going to approach the game with a pragmatic style and that they were going to play a bit deeper, but I couldn't have saw him this week telling them to play that deep and to play, you know, that passive. I don't think that would have been in discussions, but it was from the first whistle. They were sitting far mm. too deep and they weren't pressing and they were sitting off. Um, so whether that is in that dressing room, do you know what I mean? After last season, mm. I think a lot of players might still be struggling with confidence and it's spilled over into this campaign, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it's worrying, like, as I've said earlier, there's no shame in getting like battered by City, but there's a shame in Casillas six. You can go two 0 down within twenty minutes, but at that point, that's when you go right. You shut up shop. You consolidate. Yeah. You don't. You don't go and concede another two in the first half because it's just ridiculous. Because imagine they actually just right. We've lost this half here now. Let's just keep calm, tighten up, stick on Alan. Don't sacrifice everyone else. Get everyone back in. Stay tight for whatever it was. Half an hour left. And keep it tight. Going second half, Anthony scores when it's only 2-0. It's a completely different complexion. But as you say, they just completely capitulate every time. But as we said, there was one positive, um, Stephen. And that was Marshall coming on. It's his first, um, only second appearance of the season. And he scored twice. It was like, you know, it softened the blow. It um, saved a bit of face. Um, I think even United fan, um, players got a bit of an applause off the pitch afterwards, which was surprising considering half of the fans left at half time and absolutely no blame there whatsoever. But um, he scores a, quite an instinctive header. I think City had like called the dogs off at that point and turned off a bit. But he, he steals in, gets a good header and a brilliant penalty. And that, if nothing else, that is a bit of optimism because he started pre-season so well. Um, then they got injured at the start of the season, came back for that Liverpool game, set up the second goal, was a really bright cameo there. And he's done the same here. It looks like might finally, at long last, be getting that Martial back again. He certainly seems more suited to playing that striker role than Rashford in the brief minutes we've seen. I'd always hear on the side of uh, of caution with, mm. with Martial, of course. But no, he, he deserves a lot of credit for that. You know, last season, obviously went on loan at Sevilla, struggled, had a few injuries. Uh, enjoyed a good pre-season, looked very sharp in Australia and Thailand. And uh, he's obviously been injured uh, again this season. But when, he's, when he has played, he has looked good. Um, and, and that penalty was generally world-class. I've, I've watched it a few times now. It was breathtaking. It was a top right corner, fantastic penalty. I think next week at Everton, on sorry, this this weekend on, on Sunday night at Goodison Park, I'd probably start him through the middle. I'd probably start him up front. I've always thought Rashford was, was better off the left, especially after such an ineffective performance on Sunday. Mind you, you can make the case of Rashford to be dropped, but that's a that's probably another conversation. Um, but I'd personally start, if providing he's fit enough, obviously, Martial, I'd, I'd probably start him on Sunday. And Sammy, would you agree with that? I probably would at this stage, yeah. I, I don't... I've never been convinced by Rashford as a centre-forward. I think it's still an issue for United that some debate his best role. That debate ended about three or four years ago. Uh, he's he's left-winger. And there's certainly merit in starting Rashford on the left and, and Marshall through the middle against Everton and, and dropping Sancho. I, I'd, I'd be surprised if Sancho and, and Rashford both start, as I would be if, if both of them go to the World Cup. I think there are too many um, obstacles in the way of, of, of them as a duo somehow to, to get in that England squad. I just I think it's going to be one or the other or, or none at all. So at this stage, it, yeah, I think that you know, Ten Hag put Martial through the middle in pre-season. He had a very, very good pre-season. His two competitive appearances so far this season have been excellent. His, his contribution the second half against Liverpool was particularly pivotal. Uh, that was possibly the best performance from Martial in, in, in a couple of years for United. 
And I think his goals on, on Sunday were his first for United exactly a year to the day. And he only got one for United last season. So it's it's been a, a slow start for his season. But he's if he starts in uh, Nicosia, which you would expect, um, hopefully United have got that game won reasonably comfortably so he can come off after now and then start at Everton on the Sunday. And Everton are the team he scored um, more goals against than, than any other opponent. I think he's got seven seven goals against them. So it's um, Goodison does tend to be a happy hunting ground for him. Have you got hope, Samuel, that he's finally going to kind of realise his full potential or at least get back to good form? Or is it going to be like another false dawn for him? Because there has been quite a few. There have. <laughs> they have indeed. <laughs> uh, I mean, the talk of potential with Martial just seems quite um, misplaced because this is someone who turns 27 in December. Uh, I, I always go back to, uh, you know, typical typical Dutch manager, somewhat appropriately, but Ronald Koeman that time when he scoffed at the suggestion Ross Barkley could still be regarded as a young player. And I think Barkley was 20, it might be 23, 24 at the time. But he was right in that he played enough uh, professional football that that protection, that shield had, had had been revoked by that point. And certainly Marshall and Rashford in, in football terms are not young. Marshall is into his eighth season with United. Um, Rashford the same, albeit his, his first season starts in February. But the, the young card that those two could play um, expired a number of years ago and with Marshall, it is interesting because, like Rashford, he's played his best football United from from the left wing, but he did have a good and I'd say an underrated season as as the centre forward in in 2019-20. He I think ended up with 23 goals that season, but he had that knack of actually salvaging some really poor anonymous performances with a goal and. Any striker would tell you that, that that's an enviable knack to have. If you're scoring important goals without having a good overall performance, you're doing your job. Um, but whether Martial is is the solution in the long term for United as as their number nine, I I, I think it, you'd be daft if you didn't have doubts. I think he's still got a long way to go there. And also, there's the likelihood of them signing a goal scorer next year given that this is almost certainly going to be uh, Ronaldo's last season with the club yeah definitely um after the Brentford game Stephen um Ten Hag made a big reaction he cut Maguire he cut Ronaldo he cut Sancho I'm um, Sancho Shaw sorry big reaction though there was an appropriate response what reaction does he have to do after this one because it's a big month October a tough run of fixtures well Ericsson said they were having a meeting today didn't they I think uh after the match so God knows what's been said today, Carrot, and hopefully some home truths have been said because that needs to happen uh, after yesterday's performance. Obviously, we're recording on a Monday afternoon. But yes, obviously, there needs to be a massive response. Um, multiple changes need to be made in, in personnel. You can't put that same team out. You just you simply can't. Um, like I say, I think I'd, I'd personally... Uh, Sancho would come out of the team for me. Um, it might be a bit harsh to drop Malasiev, so kind of people talk about that on Twitter after one. Obviously, it was a nightmare performance. But I think I'd make a statement. I think I'd bring Shaw in. I think I'd give him a chance. Um, obviously, Casemiro, who talks about him already, he has to come in. There'll be something really, really wrong, something badly wrong if Casemiro doesn't start the weekend. I think you get very, very short odds on, on the start. I saw someone suggest actually today that, look, if, if I think I said it earlier, actually, if obviously Frankie Dijon comes in the team, he'd be starting straight away, wouldn't he? Casemiro wouldn't have been on the bench. Sorry, Dijon wouldn't have been on the bench for a month. 
Um, but look, the, the players that you get that in training again, they've, they've talked about the self-belief. They've got no excuse. It's everything. Uh, they've, they've not been very good in the Lampard. And they're making steady improvement in the season, but you've got to win that game if you're Manchester United, you've, you know, especially after a result like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I say October, it's, it look, it's shaping up like a pivotal month, Samuel. Everton, you know, they're not exciting or good to watch, Stephen, bang on, but they actually have got the best defence in the league this season at the minute after the three goals City conceded on Sunday. Um, you know, there's fixtures against Everton, Newcastle, Spurs, Chelsea and West Ham coming up, Samuel, intersected um, with Europa League ties. It's a big month, and if United, I think it's going to be. I say it can't be judged on the season in October, but I think we'll get a good understanding of where they are headed at the end of the month, especially when that gap for the World Cup will be coming just a couple of weeks after that. Goodison is never a great place to go after a European away, as well as as United know only too well from from recent history. You go back to that. Easter Sunday burial they had in, in 2019 when they lost 4-0 and you thought, how could it get any worse than this? And then <laughs> they've they've made a habit of conceding the minimum of four goals on over the last year. I think that was the, the eighth game yesterday that they shipped at least four in, in one game. Um, but, I mean, it's, I, I didn't know that when you said about Everton's defensive record. I mean, it's, it's pretty remarkable. I think a lot of people quite understandably had them down as relegation fodder at the start of the season and they may still be but to have only conceded um seven goals is you know it's, it's staggering really I mean they're 11th in the league I knew that they'd obviously responded well to those two opening defeats and um Lampard's made a couple of um pragmatic signings that have, have, have shored things up and they've got some good professionals there as well which he, he no doubt no doubt values and also the the time of it is is pretty um pretty inconvenient and interesting 7 p.m on sunday um goodson park is is one of the it's a ground for the purest it really is um, it'll be a shame when they do eventually make that move away i think in 2024 it's due to be so it's not much longer that they've got goodison but it it can be one of the most raucous grounds in, in british football and everton are obviously going to have the benefit of eight days preparation, United have got their, their midweek game in um, in Cyprus. So it, it is it's a it's a huge month. Um, it, it shouldn't normally be this way in October, but you only have to look at last year what happened in October and how much of an impact that had on United season. That was the um, that was certainly the beginning of the end of, of Oligan Solskjaer's tenure as manager. I'm not saying for one minute this is going to be that's going to be the case with Eric Ten Hag, not at all. But they need to find themselves in a good position going into the the World Cup and when the season is um, is, is shut down for for six weeks or whatever it's due to be. Um, and and I suppose with the City result, he's just got to draw a line under it now and try and you know, make the substantial changes to ensure that United start playing the way that he wants them to play because they haven't been doing that. They weren't doing that in the four games that they won. As I said, it was pragmatism. It was counter-attacking uh, play that, that underpinned those wins. And look, they needed points on the board after the Brentford debacle, but they've, you know, it does feel a little bit like they're back to square one with this thrashing by City. Do you think... United's players are good enough to do what Ten Hag wants them to do. Like I think I felt like the way they abandoned it after two games, it's because De Gea can't pass it out as from the back. He can hardly leave his six-yard box, as we know. He wanted De Jong to do I know Ericsson could do a, a kind of good imitation of it, but he wanted De Jong for that specific role. Do you think he kind of ha- can play how he wants to this season, or is it going to be 
a pragmatic approach, you know, at least till January when he can maybe get in some new heads. It will certainly take him time, and I think that the notion of January spending is is a little bit fanciful. I think something major would have to happen to to prompt that when they've just spent. £225.4 million or certainly committed to spending that much um, you know it's almost like you, you want your cake to and eating it and you want the crumbs as well you know how, how much do you want at that point you've, you've got to try and bed players in and get them buying into your ideas and executing those ideas the point about De Gea is a salient one I, I feel uneasy on a weekly basis having no choice but to pick him as the goalkeeper um, I think he's he's stagnated. He has metaphorically stood still. I think it's very obvious in almost every game that he plays in. He's still possibly the best shot stopper around the world, but goalkeeping has evolved. And I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that United will be trying to get in a, a new long-term goalkeeper next year. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. I think there are some players that are completely aligned with what Ten Hag wants. Uh, obviously, he's made uh, key signings, but that's why Casemiro sticks out like a sore thumb. He's the only one who doesn't have a clear connection to Ten Hag. Um, unlike Anthony and Martinez, who played under him, Malassia played in Holland, Eriksen trained with Ajax at the start of the year and, and played for Ajax at the start of his start of his career. Casemiro is the only one who has no obvious connection to Ten Hag, and he's obviously been starting games on the bench. Um, I think it, you know, from from what I was told, it, it was more the club, more John Murta, who was driving uh, that signing. And you know, when when you do that, you, you you're going down a, a pretty slippery slope. And we were told outright in July on the preseason tour in Thailand that United were well prepared to go the whole window without signing a defensive midfielder because. Uh, Ten Hag had that predilection for Frankie De Jong, but I mean, I think anyone, any of us guys um, or girls working on the desk, could have could have told United from the outset that they look a bit naive there, and it, it seemed seemed too good to be true, and it was because he didn't come close to leaving Barcelona in the end. And you've talked about the sorry, Dan. You talked about the style of play there, and obviously how long it's going to take to implement it. But I think perspectives needed, isn't it? I mean, last season the worst Premier League points total of all time. You know, worst season for decades. It was an absolute car crash. It was a train wreck. It was terrible. Multiple embarrassments. Liverpool home and away. City home and away. Bloody Brighton down in the south coast. That was terrible in May. So look, it is going to take time. Football fans these days want everything now, and and that's just kind of the, the, the day and age we live in. But look at Arteta, for example, at Arsenal. I mean, that, that first season, look, it is going to be a bit transitional. There is going to be bumps in the road. But Ten Hag needs time to get it right and hopefully eventually will come good. Yeah, I agree. Completely agree. Absolutely. And on that very um, uplifting note, <laughs> seeing, some, seeing some optimism there, Stephen, some, uh, some sunlight coming through the dark clouds. <laughs> on that note, we will bring an end to this episode of the Manchester's <laughs> Red Podcast. Thank you all very much for listening. We'll be back later on this week, no doubt, to... That's hopefully not another massive defeat because <laughs> that would be um, that would be a crisis city if they somehow lose to Nicosia on Thursday. But we will be back on Friday, no doubt, to talk about that and to look forward to the weekend's game at Everton. Is there, is there any reason why it's at seven o'clock on a Sunday, Samuel? That is weird. Uh, the, the the avarice of the broadcasters is, is I can only imagine is is the reason why uh, it's it's an unusual season with the World Cup and there's a mm-hmm. hell of a lot of football crammed in. So it'd be good if they actually gave us a kickoff time for the Chelsea game which is weeks, uh, yeah. in, in London and uh, two weeks on Saturday absolutely mm-hmm. um, scandalous that matchgoers are 
seemingly not coming into the discussions for for, for any of that. Very money nice. first, money first, yeah. isn't it? As you, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, especially when the trains between Manchester and London at the minute are the absolute job that they are. But we'll we'll get that soon. As I say, we'll be back later this week to discuss the Europa League match and look forward to Everton. But for now, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Of course, you can get all the latest United news looking into that match and look forward to the weekend over on manchestereveningnews.co.uk forward slash Manchester United. You can get us on Twitter at Man United MEN where you'll be able to see all the articles from Stephen and Samuel and everyone else on the team dissecting the latest uh, troubled match. But hopefully, um, hopefully better times to come, eh? Well, if they are, or if they're not, we'll be able to talk about it either way later on this week. So thank you very much, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye.